welcome to this week's episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners. This podcast is a production of Startup Space, an entrepreneurship community building platform supporting ecosystems across the country. I'm Jackie Dietrich, and we created this podcast to highlight the stories of community leaders who are working every day to break down barriers to entry for underserved and underrepresented entrepreneurs. Today, we'll be speaking with Sarah Siders, Executive Director of Spark within the entrepreneurship ecosystem of Manhattan, Kansas. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. I am really excited to be here. Well, will you start by telling us about your work uh, and your organization and what you're doing in your region? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. So uh, zooming out a little bit, um, our organization is almost one year old. We will celebrate our first birthday in July. We launched in COVID because that's what good entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship resources do, right? We we can't waste a crisis. Um, and so we actually had been um, the, the product of many relationships and programs that came out of uh, one of the co-working spaces here in Manhattan, Kansas. It opened up in um, April of 2016. It was called The Fellow. And the fellow had, you know, made some relationships with the small business owners and entrepreneurs that were a part of their membership, as well as another co-working space that was located in nearby study, um, connected with chamber, the chamber in our local university, and just a lot of different people who were realizing that entrepreneurship work needed more attention. Around that same time, there was a community assessment that was done here locally in Manhattan, where entrepreneurship was identified as a core strategy for economic development and, you know, helping to build up our private sector, which we're pretty uh, heavy public sector here. We have a, um, a large state university. We have a technical college and a Christian college, as well as um, a job core learning center. And we also have a military installation. So you can see that there's a ton of transients, but there's also a lot of opportunities for, for talent. Um, and just a really, really young community. And so we were, you know, kind of as a community recognizing that we needed to do better at helping support small businesses and startups here locally in order to build out that private sector and have more control over our economy rather than kind of being at the whim of the public sector. And so there was a lot of support that came behind entrepreneurship programming efforts that started, um, you know, kind of between 2016 and 2018. And so this idea of forming a nonprofit called Spark that would house and develop programming and the entrepreneurial ecosystem kind of started in 2018. And it was, you know, just a, a lot of conversations and a lot of things that were going on. I wasn't even a part of it. I was, actually was um, running for city commission at the time and, you know, was, was uh, working with small business entrepreneurship and working on um, creating inclusion opportunities for entrepreneurs of color in, in the ways that I could as a candidate, you know, and I was, you know, trying to put messages out there. And so that was something that I was working on. Um, and I had the, the uh, I, I'll, I'll say uh, now I had the fortune of not winning, um, although I would have obviously enjoyed the role and wanted the leadership position. I'm also grateful um, because it opened a door uh, to five days later after election being able to um, step into this role as an organizer, as a volunteer, and then ultimately uh, getting hired and helping to launch uh, Spark in July of 2020. And so it, it was been an amazing opportunity to move forward the goal that I had as a candidate of supporting entrepreneurs and small businesses and creating an inclusive environment for, for business here. Um, it was just what I was trying to do as a candidate. And it turned out that 
you know, this opportunity was created because I ran for office. Um, and so now I, I get to do this work with Spark, which I love, just to kind of be really clear. Our mission is to uh, resource and launch entrepreneurs and to create an inclusive and dynamic culture of entrepreneurship and innovation throughout the greater Manhattan region, which covers about three counties. So just to give an idea of, you know, what it is that we are trying to accomplish. We want to hear more about your vision and your personal story, especially we'll definitely be touching on inclusivity and what that really means for your community. But I want to back back up just a bit and talk about Manhattan. Tell us yeah. this context for, you know, this community. What's the population? What, what's it like in Manhattan, Kansas? Yeah, Manhattan is really interesting because um, we are two hours west of Kansas City, um, an hour, 40, 45 minutes to an hour, depending on where you're coming from, um, from Topeka, which is our capital. Um, and we have a lot of different, like I said, institutions here that draw people in from around the country and around the world. So the university has a strong international student population here that brings a lot of culture and dynamics to our community. We also have our military installation, which is a big part of our community that's located about 15 minutes outside of Manhattan, and that they are a big economic impact here. And also they are drawing people in from around the world, many different cultures that are coming in here. So we have kind of a rural location in that, you know, the surrounding area is, um, is tends to be more rural, like outside of Manhattan is Riley County or Pottawatomie County, um, that out to the east between Manhattan and Topeka is predominantly rural. Um, but we have some more diversity here than we would because of, you know, being co-located with the university and the military installation. We also have um, the privilege of being located next to another city called Junction City, which is uh, almost 50% ethnically diverse. And they are just outside of the Fort Riley, you know, uh, the installation. So they're their city is predominantly influenced by, um, you know, the military and a lot of the culture there, but they have so much ethnic diversity and cultural diversity in that community. And so we have, uh, we interact with and support a lot of the businesses that are there in Junction City, which gives us increased um, opportunities for ethnic diversity. So when we talk about greater Manhattan, there is the city of Manhattan itself, which is 50,000 people. And that actually includes the university because we annexed the university in the mid nineties, which is like such a crazy thing, but it gave us an opportunity to become a town of 50,000 or above, which opens the door to federal funding that we didn't have access to before. So our city itself is 50,000. And then we have the greater Manhattan area, which we would call um, kind of the Eastern side of Pottawatomie County. And then, you know, into Junction City so that that extended region is closer to about 110,000 people. Um, and that's not a lot. And there's, you know, it's, it's fairly geographically spread out. So it might be like anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour from one side to the other. Um, and it's mostly highways and part of it's rural. Um, so it, it's not like everybody necessarily sees themselves as part of that, but we're in the center of our own little universe there, the greater Manhattan area. And so we're looking at, you know, how do we serve those businesses and startups that are coming out of our area that are affiliated with the university or that are just coming out of the city? Um, 
but we're also really, really tightly partnered with economic development entities that are, um, you know, working out of the area chambers and, um, you know, across the county lines, because we see that when one of us is doing well, that all of us are doing well. So we do try to have a regional mindset. So really interesting dynamics, a lot of strengths to work with, given that you're in kind of a rural surrounding. You spoke a little bit about what called you into entrepreneurship and ecosystem building. Can you just share more about your own personal vision for entrepreneurship in your region and why is it so important to you? Yeah, um, you know, this has been something that's been uh, building in me for a while. So uh, about four years ago, I started my own private therapy and coaching practice. I had been out on the military installation for about nine years and wanted to work for myself for a long time and didn't know what it would look like. So I finally was able to start my own practice. And immediately I was um, just drawn into the business community that was here in Manhattan because the entrepreneurship programming was just getting started. So we were bringing in a 1 million cups in the fall of 2017. So I joined the organizing team. Um, there was a news outlet that was starting to support entrepreneurship and I started writing for the, the business magazine and um, it was just, it was like, I just kind of got pulled into it. And so this, the part of my business where I was being a therapist became less and less. And the part where I was involved, you know, I was interviewing these leaders in the community and I was becoming known very quickly within like a year and a half from starting my business. Um, it, it was the fall of 2017. I started the practice and then um, the spring of 2019, I was asked to run for office and I literally came from being unknown because I was on Fort Riley. And so I was really involved in Junction City and um, Gary County, which is you know next to us. And so really nobody knew me. So I was running as kind of an unknown, but I was everything that had led me to run was related with small business. It was related with, you know, supporting new businesses and, you know, the 1 million cups, the, the, the um, business news all of those relationships had brought me to that place where they said, hey, we want you to kind of represent small business and entrepreneurship um, in Manhattan. And so I was coming to the table knowing that I wanted to create an inclusive ecosystem because something that was really a big passion for me over the last several years has been um, racial and economic equality. And we know that um, there's a massive racial wealth gap. And so I just remember, you know, five years ago, going on these walks around my neighborhood and just kind of like feeling the pain of this racial wealth gap and just being aware of it, you know, vividly in my city and thinking, I just, I want that to change. I want that to change. And I was, you know, a mom, I was working um, on Fort Riley at the time. I, I didn't know, yeah, I didn't know like what this could look like. I didn't even know if I was going to be working for myself. I just remember thinking, I don't like that this exists. And so I've been so fortunate to um, be able to have, you know, relationships and, and build trust with people over the years um, to be able to say, okay, I want to, you know, support entrepreneurs. I want to support small business and I want to support all of them. And I specifically want to look at, you know, who's not here and how do we bring them to the table? Um, how do we make room for the people that are not here? Um, it, you know, our community is 83% white. So this, you know, kind of core of Manhattan, and it's just really easy for people of color, entrepreneurs of color to be overlooked because they're not historically, they're one in five. And 
you also have the racial wealth gap. So there's the visibility and there's just the resources. And so it's been an ongoing issue. It's kind of like people go, well, you know, I, I'm not intentionally leaving anyone out. And it's like, no, you're not. It's just that we have to intentionally include, we have to do the opposite because of course you wouldn't leave someone out, but if you don't go looking for them, we also can't find people that have not had, you know, a seat at the table. So those have been some big motivators for me in, you know, working with small business, supporting entrepreneurs. I was like an unconventional entrepreneur because I had a practice that was just me and I wasn't going to grow it. It was never going to be more than me. So I wasn't exactly contributing to the economic impact of the city or like, you know, bringing in dollars or creating jobs. But, you know, it was like the introduction to having a business and into the business community that led me to care about the bigger picture. Um, and my social work background, which is kind of the the foundation of my, my therapy lens, my social work background teaches me to advocate for other people and to connect them to resources and to look at systems and how are systems leaving people out and, you know, kind of elevating others or helping some to be visible and some to be invisible. So the, the systems approach that I had, I'm still using, even though it's a, it's a wildly different career. <laughs> One of the, the things that has emerged in our community of practice around startup space and ecosystem builders that we have an opportunity to talk with is really that change in perspective that has occurred over the last year around COVID and yeah. job creation and all those topics is having the one person business or, you know, the small businesses that are one, maybe two or three people are more important than ever in our communities. And it's been exciting for us to see that that is now, you know, economic development is now taking that seriously, that entrepreneurs like that are critical and key to the economic development and the wealth creation that we want to happen in our cities. And Sarah, I think one of the things I love most about talking to you is that you can feel that you have that therapist background and that social <laughs> perspective. I mean, so many ecosystem builders end up doing it as part of their work, yes. but you you can tell that you have the training to come from a place of understanding first. Yeah. And and looking at the system from from within, and I would love to just hear you speak more about the the roadmap to greater diversity in your entrepreneurship ecosystem. What inc what does inclusion require of your community? What does it mean for your work? Yeah, this is, I just think the first thing that I would say is something that's the hardest for me to admit as a person who just wants to do things quickly. Um, I want to see change happen quickly. And I remember being at a conference and talking to someone um, who had been doing racial justice work for a long time and, uh, you know, has been sitting in the, the slow work. And I, I was just asked him afterward, you know, being a young, I don't know, young in my journey, it was like four years ago. And I was like, how do you, how do you just stay with this? How are you not just mad all the time? You know? And he was like, well, this is slow, patient work. You have to be willing to just be in it for the long haul. And I, re I mean, I don't even remember the verbatim thing he said, but the messaging that I took away was, you're either committed to this for a lifetime and you are going to be moving the needle and the, the work will also be there after you are gone. It's just the work of, a, of being human. And so you have to commit to that. You have to be patient. You have to 
you know, be willing to go slow. And that is going slow at the speed of people's, you know, when you have a mainstream culture that you're trying to help get on board and understand, you have to go at the pace that they can go at in terms of being patient with people who are just learning about their own privilege or whatever, learning about the fact that they're living in a system that benefits them and, and they didn't create it and they, they just don't, they're not aware. So being patient on that side and also being patient to, to move at the speed of trust with you know, entrepreneurs and communities of color to say, Hey, I know that I don't understand what it's like to be you. So you have a role that you need to play and I have a role that I need to play. And how do we come together to work those things out? And so I've been able to build some very um, authentic relationships with entrepreneurs of color in the community, um, specifically some of our area black entrepreneurs. And I can have these like really candid conversations where they can say, Sarah, this is this is the role and this is the action we need you to take in this space, you know, where you might want to come out like this, or you might want to take this stand or this position. We need you to do this. And so it can be a really authentic partnership where we're not really dancing around the political stuff anymore. We're able to have really, really honest conversations. Um, and that didn't happen right away, but how it did happen was me asking questions. I had, so I wasn't wearing the journalist hat most of the time in those situations, which was interesting. And so it gave me the chance to ask questions, then ask more questions. And I, that's what you should do anyway. But I was introduced to some of these folks through that journalist role. And so I think that's, what's interesting about it is that I was forced to have that attitude to ask a question and then to listen and that was exactly what was needed. And so that formed trust over time. And, you know, I don't do it perfectly. So I think another thing that I had to make peace with was the fact that I'm going to look dumb sometimes. I'm going to say things that are wrong, you know, or maybe unintentionally inconsiderate or something. And I hate that. And I don't want to do that. But unless I'm willing to be dumb or look stupid or be corrected, unless I'm willing to do that, um, I won't be able to make progress. Because if I'm trying to be perfect and manage myself perfectly all the time, first of all, I'm not going to build trust because I'm not being a human. But second, it's like the work is done by growing. And I have to be like, oh, I screwed up. I said something that was, you know, inconsiderate or you know, I'm showing my privilege right now or whatever it is and just be like, okay, wow, that sucks. Ibram Kendi gives a really beautiful way of understanding this. He talks about recognizing when we're being racist and when we're being anti-racist and just saying it and not saying, oh no, I'm a racist. Oh no, I'm canceling myself or everyone's canceling me. Just giving people the opportunity to say, I want to be an anti-racist in my life, in my work, in my family, in my relationships and in my philosophies. And, and I also grew up in the United States and I have ingrained tendencies and I need to call it out with truth and directness and kindness to myself and those around me. And I also can honor when I'm being anti-racist. And he even says like, you can be racist and anti-racist in the same day. Um, and so it's like, that just goes to show um, the value of not holding someone to the, their worst moment, Right. When we do that, we don't allow people to grow. I think it's important for us and the people around us to say, hey, like we really, we need to have high accountability 
for inclusion and our behavior, but we also need to give people room to learn and grow and reflect. And if they do that, we want to see if we can build trust. And, and so that has been a commitment that I've made. And I tell people that I'm like, I made a commitment to look stupid because I'm going to continue learning and I hate it. I hate looking stupid and I regularly do it and it sucks. But if I don't do it, I can't make progress. So those would be some of kind of like, I don't know, some of the, the mentalities or the motivators that I've had so far. That willingness to be in a vulnerable position. That seems like that's a lesson that takes some the longest to learn. We will definitely include some of those anti-racist resources in the show notes. I'd love to just talk specifically around, you know, how do you describe the specific challenges that small businesses and entrepreneurs in your ecosystem are dealing with? And what's your approach? You know, how are you building the relationships and kind of helping to break down those barriers that the small businesses and entrepreneurs uh, are facing? Yeah. So, so facing the challenges that um, our small businesses and entrepreneurs are looking at, especially when it comes to communities of color, I think we're, we're in a more rural community, right? And so, you know, I mentioned we're 83% white. So one of the biggest things is just visibility, um, being able to help our specifically black owned businesses. And, you know, we, we have a partnership with a, a local organization called the black entrepreneurs of the Flint Hills and their um, businesses span that tri-county area. And so we created a partnership with them earlier in this year. And actually last year, right after George Floyd was killed, um, the black entrepreneurs of the Flint Hills that had a, you know, kind of directory of their businesses and it was kind of informal and they were loosely organized and they were sort of trying to figure out what, where do we go from here? So what they had done is, um, gone to two of the area chambers and a couple of other organizations, including spark. We were just pre-launch. So they were, uh, including us. And I was also, you know, friends with their leadership team. And so they brought these five action items to the, the chambers and organizations here and said, this is what we, our businesses need in order to be successful. And will you talk to us about it? And will you partner? And will you work with us? And that was really interesting, but there was so much heat on racial and economic equality at the time. So many people were saying, we want to support black business. And, you know, then hey, can we see a list of these black businesses? We want to support them. We want to be uh, patronizing them. And there was so much attention all of a sudden on these these businesses um, where before they had been invisible in many ways and now they were suddenly visible. And that was in some ways obviously a blessing, but it's also a hardship to have 10x clientele or, you know, you're, you're trying to serve people and you have this capacity because you have this staffing and this capital, and now you have so much more required of you. So in people saying, yeah, 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 we want to support, like that was great, but it also created challenges for, you know, specifically black entrepreneurs, because that's where the heat was at. Um, over this last year, we've seen a focus on um, API businesses as well after, um, the violence in Atlanta. And then there was just so many stories that emerged of our Asian American Pacific Islander citizens here in the United States being mistreated. And then also business owners who are trying to 
you know, hold a standard of safety for distancing or masks or whatever being mistreated. We even had that happen here locally um, where we've heard stories like that around the country. And so I think that, you know, we've been trying to listen to what some of these, um, you know, stories are. And, you know, I, like I said, I just think one of the biggest ones is visibility. And so when we look at our different communities, you have black entrepreneurs, we have Latinx entrepreneurs, we have our AAPI businesses and other cultural um, backgrounds here that are represented. But I would say AAPI, Latinx and black entrepreneurs are here locally and they have different affiliations. Not all of them are organized like the black entrepreneurs of the Flint House. They have this organization, right? They're they're working together towards a common cause. Um, there isn't that kind of organization and advocacy um, that's happening with our other, um, you know, ethnic businesses. So that is a piece. And they're also some of our businesses are invisible for a reason. They're either maybe trying to assimilate. Um, or we're seeing people be invisible because of documentation. So they may have um, some of their employees who are undocumented and they're needing to like keep a low profile. And that's actually like where they need to, to stay or where they feel um, safest. And so we're just realizing that um, there's not a lot of relationships built across these, you know, fr from kind of the predominant white economy um, and the resources that are here and these you know, these cultural business groups where I'm realizing to my own dismay and to the dismay of my stakeholders that, wow, we have a lot of work to do in trust building in these groups. Because when you're in a rural area and you are, you know, part of 17%, at least I'm talking about Manhattan specifically, 17% is non-white. That means that your ethnic group is a small percentage of that. And so um, keeping a low profile for various reasons is something that has been happening. So, so helping people to become visible in the right way at the right time in a supported way, not just like thrusting them into the spotlight, um, and saying, Hey, we support you. And let's, let me take a picture of myself at your business. And, you know, I'm supporting you or, or, you know, whatever that kind of thing, like, that's not how we need to do it. I've noticed that as much as I might think I know what people need, building a relationship, building a trust bridge, and then saying, what do you need? And letting people tell us is, I think, the biggest thing. So because of our partnership with the Black Entrepreneurs in the Flint Hills, we were able to develop four shared priorities, um, which is access to inclusive capital, um, helping to build awareness and remove invisibility from their businesses. Um, working to identify where there's opportunities and challenges for inclusion in the, their, the businesses and the business owners in our region, and also in building inclusive education um, and training opportunities for our businesses. And so because we have the Black Entrepreneurs of the Flint Hills, they're an organization, we're an organization, we have a corporate sponsor, Canvas Gas Service, that got behind uh, what we're doing. And so they have, the organization has a membership in our co-working space and there's like shared desk and event and conference room time that's there. And then we um, partnered with a group in Kansas city to bring in a version of fast track Kaufman fast track that was designed for 
of Black entrepreneurs called Entrepreneur Business Basics, and it's being offered to you know any minority business owners. But we were able to target and market to the Black entrepreneurs of the Flint Hills because of this partnership. And right now, um, it's actually starting next week. Uh, 18 businesses will be going through that class. And so because of this relationship that formed into a formal partnership that has a sponsor, we came up with these four shared priorities that came out of their, you know, demand letter or their action items last year. Um, So it was just relationship, 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 relationship the entire time and them getting to say what they needed and us getting to say what we can do. And then that, you know, drew other people, our, our, uh, Manhattan Area Chamber has been very supportive of what we're doing um, and has wanted, you know, Spark to take the lead on a lot of these things. This is the Black Entrepreneurs of the Flint Hills. Spark is the entrepreneurship organization and they're back there, you know, cheering us on a big part of our funding. And so I would say that we've been able to achieve a lot. Um, I, I mean, we're, we're new, so we have to stay the course, but there's a lot to say that um, a lot of evidence to say that we'll be here for a while. And this relationship with the Black entrepreneurs is going to create um, economic well-being and prosperity for our, our Black entrepreneurs as we continue to build this relationship. And how do we do something like this that is appropriate for our Latinx businesses and our AAPI businesses? And there's within those cultures, you have people coming from multiple different countries, right? Like hundreds of different countries. So to say, oh, you're Latinx and therefore I understand you or we know, or you're API, therefore we know you. Like, oh my goodness, even that, you know, no culture is a monolith, right? So it, it becomes so personal, becomes extraordinarily relational. And it's just like, we have to be willing to do the slow work and it's not going to be fast. It's not going to be a bunch of stats that we can throw up and say, yeah, we did all this stuff. But I'm hoping that we can build a foundation that will bring people into our community in a way that's meaningful and be able to change the wealth gap and help our businesses that feel excluded or invisible, that they will begin to feel that there's a place for them and they're wanted and valued, um, maybe in a way that they haven't been able to feel yet. It sounds like you've made incredible progress in a short amount of time and under incredible circumstances, of course, with the pandemic happening at the same time as your launching of Spark. What for the next year does success really look like in terms of what you and your team are working toward? Yeah, that's so good. I want to continue building on the relationships that we have and the shared priorities we have with the Black entrepreneurs of the Flint Hills. That's just such a natural uh, connection that we have there. Uh, we, we brought one of their leadership uh, team members uh, onto our spark board. Um, and we're just really trying to be as intentional as possible to create, um, alignment and intersections between our entrepreneurs of color and making decisions with people. You know, when we're making a decision for a person, like it needs to be, they have to be there at the table. Um, so continuing those relationships is really important. I am excited to see how this education opportunity with Entrepreneur Business Basics helps to build a stronger foundation for these 18 area businesses because that is directly impacting uh, the, the racial wealth gap. And it's also helping our region to build more jobs and to create um, a story that says, hey, 
our region is a good place for entrepreneurs of color to start and grow their businesses because the community comes around them. That when you speak up, that there's people to listen to you and there's people who will say, hey, we want to get behind you. We want to resource you. When the Black entrepreneurs came to these several organizations last summer, and, and I hate to say that, you know, hey, this political climate made, you know, had raised the heat so much, but there was a lot of momentum that came out of last summer. And I'm so thankful for that. And the heat is still raised. It has not been lowered. It is that, you know, that all eyes are on our nation as we continue to work through these issues of our history and our present moment, you know? And so um, I, I would like to see us continue building on those and then using some of these principles of relationship building to begin to reach out and say, okay, you know, how do we begin to be more inclusive for um, Latinx businesses? And what does that look like? And not, and not using, not saying that what we've done with the black entrepreneurs is going to work in the Latinx community or the AAPI community, because the, the, the needs and the opportunities and the assets are completely different in a lot of ways. But the relationship building piece, the patience is, I think, something that will continue to use that. We're talking about it all the time. We're talking about um, our AAPI businesses um, and our Latinx businesses and going, you know, how do we do this? What's the approach? And finding, you know, again, sadly that we um, have so much work to do. And so, you know, for us in the next year, if we were able to have um, relationships with members of the AAPI and Latinx business community in leadership positions. Oh my gosh, what a dream. Um, on our organizing team for One Million Cups, presenting at our pitch competition, potentially, you know, forming some kind of group that is formal or informal that can help to pull the needs to the surface for these communities that might be what is needed. I don't know. Um, but I would like to see representation in leadership positions um, in like the larger business community from these different communities of color. That would be a, a real success for me. Yes, yes, yes to that. Our team loves working with you because you so much embody in your work the concept that entrepreneurship is a team sport. And there's so much to learn. I've learned so much from you and how you describe the communication that is required and being in those places of curiosity and it's okay not to have the answers and to bring your community into finding the way. I think that you're just such a powerful example of what that really looks like. So thank you so much for speaking so candidly about the challenges and how you're going about the work in just a year's time. It's so impressive. And I think it's just the way that you're investing for the long haul and the relationships, but also in the systems is I think just so remarkable for the size of the community and the ecosystem that you're working within. It's really exciting. So that idea of doing it with people um, is such a huge lesson. So Sarah, how can our listeners follow you to learn more about your work? Thank you. Um, yeah. So you can follow us. We are Spark MHK. MHK is our airport code. And so we MHK everything. Um, so sparkmhk.com is our website and we are Spark MHK on Facebook. You can follow me at Sarah Siders on Twitter. I'm kind of like the face of what's going on on Twitter because we, we're we still new. And so we've had some like funny uh, social media password handoffs in, you know, w when they were handing it over to me. So anyway, it's been, um, it's been a funny journey, but 
we are doing some exciting things and we love to have you follow along with us. I think that the, the thing that I want to say is I've done a lot of talking today and I am so eager to learn about what other people are doing. I've been so fortunate to be a part of the startup space community because I've learned a lot from some of the other ecosystem builders that are uh, connected and working with startup space. And so I am just, I'm just really thankful for what you guys are doing to, you know, work on breaking down barriers and bringing in people who have those same values. And so I want to continue learning from others. And so if, if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, oh, I have a similar story or, you know, we're a few years further along and you want to share your wisdom with me or your ideas with me, like I really want to hear, um, you know, what other people are doing. So you can send me an email, sarah at sparkmhk.com, um, or we could, you know, set up a Zoom or if I'm in your city as I'm, you know, out and about, we can meet up. Um, but yeah, I really want to learn. I, because we're not even one, like most babies aren't walking yet. So I want to like honor what we've done, but I also want to be like, we are not the experts, you know, we're just starting off and we are, um, we are babies and we're trying to be patient with ourselves while at the same time celebrating the wins that we have. So that's, uh, that's our approach, but I'm here to learn. So please share wisdom with me if you, if you have it. Thanks again for your generous conversation today. Look for the links to everything Sarah mentioned in our show notes. That website again is sparkmhk.com. That's right. Sarah, thank you so much for letting us learn from your work. And I hope we can visit you in Manhattan soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. We'd love to have you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners hosted by David Polnraj. Special thanks to guest Sarah Siders for joining us. Show notes by creative director Jackie Dietrich. Edited and produced by Lauren Bernard. If you'd like to suggest interviewees, new topics, or just want to reach out, please email us at podcast at startupspace.app. All Breaking Down Barriers episodes are available on our website or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Feel free to rate, review, and subscribe for all the latest updates.